Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. The Greater Pain by Jacqueline Adomite A telephone made of old bones sits on the credenza. Its base is a monkey's skull, the receiver a small thigh bone, and human teeth decorate its curves. A twirling cord of tiny spines joins handset to base. The phone has not rung in nearly a hundred years, but soon it will. Gabriella sits on a burgundy velvet sofa next to the credenza. The mahogany-clawed feet of the sofa perch on the edge of a polished granite precipice. Gabriella draws an ivory cigarette holder to her lips and watches the smoke unfurl. It clouds her vision, blocking the view of flames, demons, and endless suffering. She runs a hand through her black hair and past her horns. Before the ash of the cigarette can fall, a satyr in a bow tie skips forward and holds out an ashtray. He wouldn't dare let the ashes touch her satin evening gown. A glass of scotch would be lovely, Pip, she says, eyes not leaving the wrought iron gates. Crack open a cask from the Elizabethan era, Black Death vintage. He skips away with a nod. The open balcony is heated and lit by the fires below. This is Gabriella's favorite vantage point of her realm, the entrance gates. Often she counts the dead and gives them pet names. Oedipus for a man with a crushed skull carrying his paralyzed mother. Magdalene for a woman with track marks on her arms and ripped fishnets on her legs. A demon jumps down from the gates and leaps at a teenage boy, and he screams and tumbles into a river of molten rock. He burns. Let's call that one Icarus. Pip shows up with a glass, hands it to Gabriella, and returns to his post within the tower. She wets her red lips with the scotch. The telephone made of bones starts to ring. She glances at the phone. Her eyebrows rise in surprise, then lower into suspicion. Though the phone hasn't rung in a century, she knows who it would be. She picks up the receiver, and in a masked cheery tone says, You've reached hell. What verbal suffering can I provide? The squeaky voice of his secretary answers back. Glad to see the fires have been warming your humor, Gabriella. He would like to speak to you. Are you available? Is this a ploy to stop the endless torture of souls for five minutes? You should see how distracted the demons get when neglected. They'll drop the mortals and start terrorizing each other. Thank you. Hold the line. The receiver emits a tune of harps. It scrapes at Gabriella's ears. Holding the receiver at an arm's length does not diminish the sound. Harps fill the air. Then she heard his voice. Gabby, you there? She moves the phone closer to her ear. Who the hell else would it be? Great to see you still have that fiery spirit. She could almost hear him smirk. Listen, Gabby, I've got a new offer to bring to the table. His tone becomes serious. She scowls. We're starting up a new Mars colony, nothing big. Maybe creating some non-water-based life forms. 
These humans are almost going to land a mortal there, and I thought, gosh darn, let's make it a little more fun for them. Now understand, it won't be anything big, but with some nurturing evolution, we could have Marzobites before we lose the sun. Gabriella balances her cigarette and scotch in the same hand and attempts to take a drink. The cigarette touches her long hair. It ignites. Flustered and now irritated, she retorts, So you call to tell me you're expanding the business. Am I supposed to be... Impressed? It's not like alimony was part of my severance package. Now, Gabby, you know I always want to keep you informed, but this is so much more than that. With all these new life forms, there will be a need for management. And I know the perfect woman for the job. After all, red was always your favorite color. You want to add to my schedule? You think torturing endless souls isn't time-consuming? The fire running through her hair spreads down her shoulders. I wanted to address the topic we have covered in previous conversations. Have you given it more thought? All the harps and hosannas must be affecting your sanity. I've mentioned the implications of speaking to me that way. Gabriella's dam of fury bursts. Her whole form ignites into flames. You threw me out of our kingdom, and now you want me to give up all that I have built for some dusty red planet? For microbes? But of course you'd try anything to reclaim the precious souls that you adore. Nothing could be better than these drooling mortal idiots. Her scotch glass smashes on the ground. Trails of flowing fire meander throughout the room. They drip, drip, drip off the precipice. The credenza and sofa are burning. You want to steal away the souls? Give them a chance at heaven, perhaps, so you can cherish and caress them. Or maybe reincarnation? That seems to be popular these days. Well, you can take your love and shove it up your holy ass! Her voice breaks. She draws in a deep breath from the flaming air. If the pain I can bestow upon these worthless souls makes you feel for one moment the pain you have inflicted upon me, then my eternity will not be wasted. He waits for her to finish. Silence holds the line. Gabriella looks around at the smoldering ashes of her asylum, at the blackened receiver in her hand. She tries to run a hand through her hair, but finds only charred wisps flanking her horns. She picks up the base of the phone and carries it to sit on the edge of her granite balcony. She curls her legs into her body. You petulant bastard. Say something. You know I love everything in this creation equally, he says. If you spread love that thin, it becomes worthless. You and I both know my love is not bound by size or matter. It grows to saturate all things. Well, la-dee-da, doesn't that feel special? Your love for any one thing is negligible to the volume of love for all things surrounding it. Please, Gabriella, you know I love you. She lets the words permeate the line and looks out over the flames of her own kingdom. At the torture and the terror and the pain, she lets her attention wander to the screams of those whipped, those skewered, those lying in a massive, writhing mountain. She feels the only ice in all of hell slide into her stomach and burn her insides. Not as much as you love them. She slams the receiver down and the telephone of bones collapses to ash. Hello there! Welcome to No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dirsch. I'm your producer and editor. 
It's really hard to explain to your family and friends that you have a podcast. I think I read a statistic once that 20% of Americans are regular podcast listeners, which means about 80% of the people that you talk to about podcasting either have dabbled in it, but it's not really on their radar screen or have zero idea of what you're talking about. So I think the next time somebody asks me, oh, you have a podcast, what's that like? I'm going to tell them that I once got to be the voice of God and see how that grabs them. I'm recording the episodes this time of year a little bit in advance, a couple weeks in advance of their air date, just to kind of try to get a jump on the holidays. And I was recording the the stories for today's show, and I look at it and I thought, you know, we're at the time of year right now where fall has just finally started to hit. The heat's kicking on, and there's a chill in the air, and the weather hasn't really turned yet, but we're definitely not in summer anymore. And so it's a little bit of a Saturday. It's a little bit of a wool socks kind of blue day. And I look at my agenda for what needs to be recorded today. I'm like, wow, those stories seem really spooky and creepy and dark. And then I looked at the calendar for when this is going to be released. I thought, ah, I think in June when I planned this episode, the plan was for it to be the Halloween episode. But I love the fact that this is not a traditional Halloween episode. This is a different kind of spooky. It's it's not ghosts and goblins. It's it's epic. It's heaven and hell and and souls and Halloween actually morphed from a Christian tradition of All Hallows Eve, which is the night before All Saints Day, where you commemorate the saints. So on the night before All Saints Day, you sort of spoof the devil. That's where the tradition of Halloween come from. And the day after Halloween in ancient Christianity was All Souls Day, which is kind of not celebrated as much anymore. And it's sort of merged with All Saints Day. And and the weekend has sort of lost all meaning in modern day Halloween. But the name All Souls Day to me has a really spooky connotation to it. I almost called this episode All Souls Day. But I think when we get to our next story, you're going to understand where the name of this episode comes from. So it was a different take on the spookiness of Halloween, just because those were kind of the stories that were coming my way. And honestly, recording it on a drizzly fall day ended up working just perfectly. Um, I loved being the voice of both God and the devil. And coming up, the bell is, we've gotten a couple of these lately, the dark side of an artist retreat. So enjoy, and I will see you in November. Ah, no extra words. The Bell by Eric D. Goodman The artist, Cookie, wanders the night. She is restless and does not know why. Perhaps it's the lack of city noise, flashing lights, bodies that bump her as she walks. There are none of those here, in this remote place. She left the compact chaos of Tokyo three weeks ago for this retreat. She'll be here another two. There's been a change in her, and she is only now realizing it. A new moon hides overhead, and although she has never seen this many stars in this clear sky, the stars are not bright enough to light the gravel path. She left her sleeping chamber half an hour ago, telling her bunkmate that she was going to her studio, knowing full well that what she really wanted was to explore the darkness. "'I thought I might go into town tomorrow,' she had said at dinner. "'Do you need supplies?' asked the faculty member sitting at the table. There was always a faculty member within earshot of anywhere the artist gathered. "'Yes, some plaster and wallpaper.' 
I could use some acrylic, said John John. I'm having trouble with texture. After dinner, we'll go to the office, the faculty member said. We'll order what you need, and it can be delivered tomorrow. I also wanted to see the town, Kuki said. Maybe visit a restaurant. We feed you everything you could want and more, the faculty member said. And it was true. Every artist at the table had to admit. The food was like something they'd never tasted before. Yes, it was all recognizable. Roast pork loin, pea soup, pasta and tomato sauce, peppered salmon, apple pie, and ginger cookies. Everything was healthy and hearty. The artist seemed to be eating more and more with each meal. It would be nice to explore, Cookie said as she watched down her peach crisp with zen tea. Having noticed her fellow artists gorging themselves, she realized that she too was eating more than usual. Accustomed to eating a light breakfast of toast and tea and only one full meal a day, usually around 3 p.m., she now found herself filling up on the wonderful cuisine three times a day. She couldn't quite explain the change in her appetite. Everything was being made for her and put in front of her, so it was only right to take advantage of it. The faculty member smiled. We try to make it possible for you to explore your art, your inner self. We strive to meet your every need so you don't have to bother yourself with the outside. It's all about you and your art. It's like heaven, John John said. He gorged himself with a second helping of peach crisp and cream and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. Read, paint, the bell tolls, and you drift out of your studio to eat, then paint, read, the bell tolls again. How perfect is this? Everyone at the table agreed. Even Cookie had to agree. Is this heaven? Maybe I'm just a little restless, Cookie said. If there is anything you need, the faculty member said, anything at all, you just let us know and we'll do our best to provide it for you. Thank you, Cookie said. What more could she say? So these days, Cookie eats and sculpts and sleeps and eats and sculpts and reads. Now most of the artists are sleeping. A few are in their studios. They can be seen through the large windows as though on display, lit up works of art themselves. Cookie should be sleeping now. But she wants to move beyond the confines of the artist colony to see what lies outside. Something's amiss. It's a foolish thought, she knows. Just the result of life in Tokyo, where you're always brushed up against people and buildings. But sometimes she gets an ache in her gut that tells something is wrong here, an ache that can't be attributed to the alteration of her diet. In the dark, she feels her way to make sure she doesn't bump into a tree or building. She can feel beneath her feet that she is no longer on a gravel path, that she is on leaf-covered earth. Looking up, she sees the tops of the trees waving in the breeze and can see the stars and the shadowy wisps of clouds. But below, she sees nothing. She hears something rustle in the unseen distance and stops. A deer? Squirrel? Have the chickens left the coop in the night? She hears the flick of a lighter and sees the flame, then the red-hot tip of a cigarette. Could I bum one of those? The woman's voice is familiar. Help yourself, says a man. Yes. Cookie's eaten with them before. These are faculty members. At first, Cookie thinks she should join them, but she holds tight. Something tells her to freeze. Not to move. Not to alert them to her presence. The red tip glows. The new group is nearly ready. Yep, another red glow. Almost ripe. Not as many as the summer batch, but not bad for an autumn harvest. Nope, not bad at all. Cookie slowly begins to slip away from the cigarette tips and the searing voices. No one's tried to get out this time. Give it a few days, someone always tries. But no one ever succeeds. 
Cookie backs away from the conversation and cigarette smoke, returns to the gravel path and follows it to her studio. She begins to work, putting to use some of the tools. A chisel. A hacksaw. An axe. As a sculptor, she's often considered doing a series of ornate furniture or decorative weapons. She puts aside her current project, decides she'll no longer need the plaster or wallpaper. She will experiment with a line of beautifully carved weapons, perfect for hanging in the walls of studies or dens, perfect for breaking out of heaven. Morning comes before she knows it. The bell tolls. Cookie goes to the main inn for breakfast. You were working late last night, says a faculty member at one of the tables. He washes down his French toast, made from local grain in the retreat's own chicken eggs, with organic coffee. I saw your studio light on. Yes, says Cookie. Inspiration hits when you least expect it. That it does, agreed the faculty member, and the rest of the artists at the table nod. The faculty member stares at Cookie. It's just that element of surprise that keeps art interesting. Thanks for listening to the No Extra Words podcast. For more information on today's stories and contributors, or to learn how to submit your own work, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. The best support you can give the show is to recommend us to your family and friends. See you next time.